Amen. I wish you would take your Bible, please, and turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter number 8. The book of Romans, chapter number 8. And as you're turning there, I want to offer sincere and hearty congratulations to our student pastor today, Brother Jace Lumpkins, who he and his wife Lexi do a wonderful job serving in youth ministries here in our local church. Yesterday was elected to serve our state of Arkansas as the District Youth Secretary of Arkansas Youth Ministries. Congratulations, Brother Jace. We're sure proud of you and thankful for you, and we thank God for the touch of the Lord that God has on you and your wife, and we offer congratulations to you. Amen. It's good to see the hand of God on people's lives. Amen? Amen. Romans chapter number 8, and uh, beginning at verse number 5. Romans chapter 8 beginning at verse number 5. Paul, the apostle, is the writer. He is writing to the Romans, and he declares it thus. For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Now, Paul is not writing about any one of spirits. He's writing about the Holy Spirit. If I live according to the Holy Spirit, then I mind the things of the Holy Spirit. Verse number 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. You will die. But if by the Spirit, everybody say by the Spirit. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Isn't it interesting that the apostle says in order to truly live, there must be a death? Isn't that amazing? In order to truly find life, I've got to die out to me. I've got to die out to my fleshly Desires, And then the 14th verse is where I will draw your attention for this message today. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Amen. Now, unusual today, I have two titles for this sermon. I told our prayer team today, because I meet with men and they help pray for the sermon and I said, unusual day today, I have two titles. Now, I don't know if that means I'm going to preach twice as long. But <laughs> some of you immediately went to prayer when I said that right there. But I have two titles. Here is the official title of this sermon. The defining characteristic of a New Testament church. The defining characteristic of a New Testament church church. Now, to some in this room, when I read that title, when I tell you that title, you think that is a good title. It's a stately title. It's an informative title. It is a powerful title. And so for you, I say you are welcome. <laughs> the second title of my sermon would be this. Pardon me. I'm breaking the line. Pardon me, I'm breaking the line. And then to a whole nother segment of this congregation right now, you are saying, now that's more like it. 
That's a good one right there. Pardon me, I'm breaking the line. Look at someone near you right now and say, pardon me, I am breaking the line. Amen. Now, I have to tell you that uh, some of you are aware that I have a twin brother. His name is Todd. I actually got to be with my brother a few days ago. We don't get to see each other very often, but we had a great time together. And um, one of the things that I am very uh, much aware is that my brother has a much better memory of our childhood than I do. (laughs) He does. I'm going to give that to him. Every once in a while, we'll be texting back and forth, and he'll text me something, and he'll say, do you remember when? And some abstract memory from decades ago. And most of the time, I have to say, man, I, I do not remember that. He's just got a tremendous memory for names and events and our childhood. Had a great, great childhood. But I do remember second grade pretty well. I do. I was seven years old, and my teacher's name was Mrs. Coyne, C-O-Y-N-E, Mrs. Coyne. And uh, the things that I remember about second grade, uh, we would have to get lined up often in the hallway to go anywhere. So you understand, and we have school teachers that are here. If you're going to take a big group of children, especially seven-year-olds, and you're going to take them from point A to point B, you cannot say to them, hey, just go to that room. Because if you say that, you're never going to get them all there. You're going to have to do head count after head count after head, then, then send search parties out and all that stuff. That, that doesn't work. So what they did for us is they would line us up in the hallway, and we would have to march like we were in the military to go from our class to the assembly or our class to the lunchroom. And it was always just kind of bothersome to me that they always lined us up, not alphabetically, but they lined us up by height. So as you can imagine, I was always at the back of the line. I mean, the front of the line. And we had a couple of guys that I, I, it's it's interesting. It's second grade that I remember so well. One of them, my friend, his name was Mark Anderson. And Mark hated when we got in those lines. Now, I'm not using too strong of a word. Hated when we got in those lines. It got so bad that Mrs. Coyne and Mark Anderson had a wrestling match in the classroom one day because Mark did not want to get in line. It got so bad that at the end of the wrestling match, Mrs. Coyne took Mark Anderson, the seven-year-old, put him in the closet, locked the door, and shut it. I think probably the statute of limitations has run out on that. But I can't imagine what would be done to Mrs. Coyne today. But we're talking about years and years ago. And then there was Alan Kluklinski. Yes, Alan. Alan hated to be in line. Just something about these two guys. And I didn't really care for being in line, but these guys had a special anointing on them for hating to be in line. And Alan would be up near the front because he was short like I was, and he would be up at the front of the line. And the longer it took to get where we were going, the more fever-pitched he became. You could hear him warming up from a long way off. 
Hey, whoa, hey. I mean, you could hear it. It was like an engine revving. And he would just have a total freak out. And that happened every time we got in line. Now, you would say, well, pastor, were you pretty good in line? I know you didn't like being in line. For the most part, I was. For the most part. But every once in a while, there's something inside of me that just wants to kind of break out. Do I have anybody in here like that? Most of the time, you're pretty docile and calm. But after a while, you just want to go, ah, anybody? Can you make me feel a little bit better? I see a few kind of embarrassed hands, like I don't really want to show that. But I had a friend named Doug Shaminsky, and when we were in high school, we were in choir class together. And Doug and I, this was one of those times I just had had enough. And so Doug and I made a little agreement with one another. We were going to see which one of us could make the loudest noise in choir class and get away with it. Not be noticed. And so we made an agreement that he was going to start. And so Mr. Coble, our choir director, was up there and he was leading us on. Okay, you may be seated. We all sat down and I looked at Doug and I just nodded. And Doug, as we were sitting down, just went, hey. He looked over at me like, how was that? And I'm like, that was So after our group sang our part and the tenors learned their part, we were being seated, and I looked over at Doug, and he nodded at me, and I just went, hey! (laughs) And I sat down. And it was interesting because I looked around while I was doing that, and several people, have you ever had one of those moments when you realized you are getting noticed now? And several people kind of, like, what was that, you know? And so I got away with it. Nobody called it out. The choir teacher didn't call it out. And so you can imagine the way this went, and back and forth and back and forth and louder and louder. And finally, I thought to myself, you know what? I'm just going to settle this once and for all. And so it was my turn, and Mr. Coble had the whole choir up, and all the tenors were singing, and all the altos were singing, and all the sopranos were singing, and it had escalated. Each time was louder and louder, and people were wondering what in the world is going on. Mr. Coble was even looking around, and I thought to myself, it's my turn, and I'm going to end this once and for all. So Mr. Coble has us all sing, oh, you may be seated. And I looked at Doug, and I nodded. And as I was going down to my seat, hey! <laughs> and there were sopranos falling out of their chairs. And there were altos falling out of their chairs. Mr. Coble dropped his little stick that he was conducting the choir with. I thought to myself, this is going to be the game winner right here. How many of you are kind of like that. Every once in a while, it just gets a little too static, and you got to break out, do something different. Amen. A line, according to definition, is an indication, a boundary, or a limit. And when you and I open up the pages of Scripture, we will see a church that was anything but a church with just complete boundaries around it. In fact, there are some words that according to the scripture were never intended to be associated with the practices 
of a New Testament church. One of them is predictable. The word predictable never was designed by God to be associated with a New Testament church. Why is that? Because according to the scripture, those that are led by the Spirit of God are in relationship as the children of God. And when you and I are led by the Spirit of God, and when a church is led by the Spirit of God, then we are not in control. And we are not the ones determining the agenda. And so by nature, we are not a predictable, calculated people. I know, I know this presses against some sensibilities, but if the Bible and the pattern of Scripture is going to be our pattern, then we will open the pages of that Bible and see a very spirit-led, spirit-sensitive church. There's another word that is not ever supposed to be connected or somehow associated with the practices of a New Testament church, and that is a safe church a church where it's always the same and because it's always the same it's very safe it's very predictable let me tell you another word that really should never be associated with a new testament church and that is the word ordinary 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 is not a new testament church because if we are a church that is led by the Spirit of God, then we open up to an eternal spirit that can speak into ordinary situations and do extraordinary things. And we open up to a supernatural spirit that can speak into the natural world and do something supernatural. And we, speak, we open up to a spirit that does anything but just ordinary things. Everybody say, you're not ordinary. Isaiah declared this coming Messiah, Jesus, who the New Testament calls the foundation of this church upon which the New Testament church is built. And he prophesies about this Messiah. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful. Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. How many of you have found the Lord to be that in your life? But I want you to notice the next verse that Isaiah prophesies of the increase of his government and peace. There will be no end. Of the increase of God's government, of the increase of God's church, of the increase of his peace, there will be no end. This is never intended to be an ordinary church. This is never intended to be a predictable church. This is never intended to be just a get by safe place where the same things happen day after day. Why? Because we, with God's help, are a spirit led church a people in relationship with God led by the very spirit of God amen everyone say spirit led 
I know that it could be declared, well, pastor, we don't want to descend into chaos. You're talking about being spirit-led, not having safe church, not having predictable church. We don't want to descend into chaos. That's true. God is not against order. He is not. In fact, he brought order out of nothing in Genesis chapter number one. But I want you to notice what it was that brought the order. It was the spirit of God moving after the word of God was declared. The word of God was declared. The spirit of the Lord started to move, and it was the spirit that brought order. It was not order that had the spirit show up and bless the order. It was the spirit that made the order. We don't come into this house with a, with a schedule and an agenda and say, God, through your spirit, bless what we're doing today. We set an environment with a schedule, and then we say, spirit of God, lead us in this house today. Show us the order. Show us the agenda. Amen. We set the schedule, but then we pray that the Spirit will lead us. And that becomes the responsibility of every one of us, every man, every woman, every child, every teenager, every young adult, every elder, every member, every new person to have our antenna, if you will, up in the air, feeling after the leading of the Holy Ghost, asking God, God, what are you calling of me today? What are, how are you directing me today? Where are you directing me this week in my life? I want to be a spirit-led man. See, a spirit-led activity is the defining characteristic of the New Testament church. A spirit-led body of people. Amen. Amen. See, a line is a boundary. And the enemy of our soul is very good at setting boundaries. Very good. Yeah, boundaries. You can worship that much. Right there. But don't go any further than that. Because then that's going to get out of hand. That's going to step, step into the bazaar then. <laughs> Brother Barry, you can pray this much. Well, we'll give you a little bit more. You can pray that much. But I'm going to set the line right there. And how many of you know we can get very used to staying in the lines? We can get very used to the enemy dictating the terms of engagement. I'll pray this long. I'll worship this fervently. I'll get after God this much in consecration when the Spirit of God may be calling us to deeper depths than we've ever gone before and the Spirit of God may be calling us to greater consecration than we've ever had before. Oh, I pray there will be somebody in this room that somehow throughout this week, not just in this service, but would say, pardon me, I'm going to break some lines this week. I'm going to refuse to be hemmed in by what the enemy will call as my limits and I will be a spirit-led son of God and a spirit-led daughter of God. I will be led by the spirit. I think it would absolutely marvel us if we understood what could happen this week if we would all be led by the spirit of God. 
There are people here right now. There's people in Cabot, Arkansas right now that their lives radically could be touched by the power of God with believers who would rise up in their spirit on Sunday morning and say, I'm going to grab a hold of that defining characteristic of the New Testament church. I'm going to be a Holy Spirit-led believer. I refuse to be hemmed in. I refuse to be hemmed in by the enemy's ploy for my life. I will let his spirit guide me. I will. I will. Amen. See, a line says that we go to church, but the Spirit says we are the church. A line says what we are in right now is the church, and a line says what we do in church happens in here. But the Spirit says, we are the church. And so what I do in here, I do out there. And what I expect in here, I expect out there. A line says that worship is from 1030 till about noon on Sunday. But the Spirit says worship is an all-encompassing lifestyle that affects 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. A line says we find a faith healer to pray over us when we're sick. But the Spirit says these signs shall follow them that believe. They shall lay hands upon the sick and they shall recover. I want to ask you, are you living by a line or are you living by the Spirit of God? Oh, I want there to be a mobilization of the army of God that will rise up on this, this great week and say, Lord, I'm going to be led by the Spirit this week. I'm going to be guided by the Holy Ghost this week. I'm going to let you direct every part of my life. See, Spirit-led living is the defining characteristic of the New Testament church. It is. It is. We open our Bible to Mark chapter number 5, and we see a lady with a real bad situation. The Bible says she had a flow of blood for 12 years, Mark 5 and 25. And had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. Isn't that the testimony of living for ourselves? We spend everything we have, and we are no better, but in fact grow worse. But when she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. I was blessed last Sunday afternoon to hear our student pastor preach. He made a comment about this story, and Pastor Jason, it, it got my attention. This woman really had no right to be where she was close to Jesus. 
because she had a blood disease. And according to the law, blood diseases, people had to be unclean and on the outside of privilege. And yet there was something inside of this woman who had a line in front of her that the law said you can only go this close to Jesus. The law said you can only come this close to the miracle worker. And yet there was something in this woman that said, pardon me, I have to break the line right now. Pardon me, I have to move past the line into a place of faith. And she got up close enough to Jesus, and the Bible says she grabbed a hold of his garment. Just grabbed a hold of it. I don't know if it was the hem of the robe, what it was, but she grabbed a hold of his clothes. And as soon as she did, Jesus is turned about in his spirit and simply says, with all of these people around me, who just touched my clothes? And the ever spiritual disciples around him answered and said, well, you know, now they didn't say it like this, but they probably could have in their spirit. Are you kidding me? Really? You're asking in this great multitude of people who touched your clothes? And Jesus said, no, somebody touched me because he felt healing virtue flow out of him. And he turned around and he saw the woman who had just touched the hem of his garment, the hem of his clothes. And the Bible says she felt within herself that a miracle had happened in her body. That means it was an instantaneous thing. Something had been happening and it's no longer happening. Or something wasn't happening and now it is happening. She felt an immediate touch in her body. She came trembling into his presence. He said, your faith, my dear, has made you whole. Your act to move past the line, to move past just getting by, it's made you whole. See, this is the defining mark of a New Testament church. Can you say amen? Second Samuel chapter number 6 and verse number 12, it is one of my favorite passages in Old Testament scripture because the Bible says that King David, the anointed king of Israel, has heard that the Ark of the Covenant is in the house of one Obed-Edom. And the Bible simply says that it was told to the king, the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom. And all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. Now allow me to take just a little hitchhike off of the main sermon today to preach from this one verse, verse number 12. There is a blessing that rests on a home where the presence of God is the priority. There's a blessing on that home. There's an anointing on that home. See, the Ark of the Covenant, everything in Old Testament, nearly every item in Old Testament scripture has a symbolic uh, nature of the New Testament. And that Ark of the Covenant was symbolic of the very presence, the Holy Spirit of God. And so while that Ark was in the house of Obed-Edom, everything in his house was blessed. 
His marriage was blessed. His kids were blessed. His home was blessed. There is something. I want someone to hear me right now. You want blessing in your family? Put the spirit at the, at the center of that family. You want the blessing of God on your children? Make the Holy Ghost a priority in your home. You want the blessing of God to rest on your house? Make the spirit of God more than just something I put on on Sunday morning but it is at the center of my home. It's at the center of my life. All the house of Obed-Edom was blessed because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. I love the fact that David said, I'm not going to let Obed-Edom's house have all the glory. I wish somebody in this house would get tired of seeing other people blessed. And you'd start rising up in your spirit saying, I'm going to get some of that blessing. I wish some of you would get tired of the devil wearing on your home. And you'd rise up in your spirit today and say, I'm going to put God back in the middle of my home. I'm going to put God back in the center of my home. I'm going to get that blessing of God on my life. So it was, verse 13, when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces that he sacrificed oxen. And fatted sheep. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. They understood they're getting the ark back. They're getting the spirit of God back. We're going to praise him all along the way. Verse 20, David returned to bless his household. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself in the eyes of the maids of his servant, as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. I want you to notice how David responded to this critical spirit of Michael. David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all his house, to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord. And I will be even more undignified than this and will be humble in my own sight. But as for the maidservants of whom you have spoken, by them I will be held in honor. I want someone just to hear pastor right now. I'm just about done preaching this morning, but I want you to hear me when I'm preaching to this great church. There is something so powerful about recognizing what we have in our midst. There is something so powerful about not presuming on what we have in our midst. I made up in my mind today, this might be the thousandth something time that I've been in the presence of God, but it's a new day to be in the presence of God. This might be the thousandth servant that I've been in in my life, but I made up in my mind, I'm not going to presume on that today because I'm in the presence of the eternal God of heaven. And I'm in the presence of the one that spoke the stars into existence and created the earth and created man of the dust of the ground and formed woman from the rib of a man. We're in the presence of a created God today. David understood what it was that he had. And it caused him to praise God. He went six paces, the Bible says, and they sacrificed and some people believe, historians that, that, that work through this in history, believe that every six paces, he stopped and praised God. Every six paces, he took a time out to praise God. I'm not preaching that particular part as scripture, but here's what I do know. He did not wait until the ark got back to Jerusalem before he started worshiping and praising God. 
There are some people in this room, you're waiting. The line says you wait until the sun comes back home before you start praising God. The line says you wait for the breakthrough in your family before you start praising God. The line says you wait for something good to happen before you truly praise God. But David decided to step out of line and begin to praise God on the way home with the Spirit of God. Woo! I wonder if there's anybody in this house you got enough faith to praise him on the journey. Anybody in this house you got enough faith to praise him on the path? Anybody in this house you're going to praise him before the answer comes? Before you get back to Jerusalem? Before the miracle takes place? Before the husband comes back to God, before the wife comes back to God, I realize what I've got, and I will step over the line and worship him by faith. Come on, Melissa, I feel like worshiping with you right now. I feel like praising with you right now. I will worship by faith. I will praise him by faith. We got anybody that can wait till the answer comes. I'm going to step out of line. I'm going to step out of line. I'm going to step out of line. Come on, you may not be totally healed in your body, but do you have enough strength to praise him right now? Do you have enough strength to glorify him right now? Come on, new life. We got the Spirit of God among us today. We got the miracle power. Come on, I feel like somebody's stepping onto holy ground right now. Someone has decided I will push past the line. I will push past the line. Come on, can you praise him past the line, new life? Can you praise him past the line? Can you break out of the line? Oh, yes. Come on, he's worthy of line-breaking praise today. He's worthy of demonstrative praise today. Not predictable praise. Not ordinary praise. Not safe praise but great praise to the Lord. Come on, be led by the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. Come on, I feel a praise coming up in your mouth right now. Why don't you lift up your voice to the Lord? Say, God, I haven't seen it all come to pass yet, but I'm praising you for what has happened. I'm praising you for what has transpired. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm saying thank you, Lord, for the answer so far. Thank you, God, for the answer so far. Can we praise him? Can we praise him past the line? Can we praise him past the line? Woo! Can we praise him past the line? Ha! 
I want you to hear me right now. When David decided to praise him, there will always be people that ridicule or will not go past the line. There will always be people like that. Please do not allow your faith in breaking line to be determined by the receptivity of people around you. Because David said it so clearly, Michael, it was for the Lord. I'm not doing this for you. I'm not doing this to please you. It's the Lord that called me. It's the Lord that chose me. It's the Lord whose side I am on. So I will praise him all the more. I will praise him all the more. Come on, I, I feel it in my spirit. I know there's some of you here right now. If you look at the prayer list, there is less answered on the prayer list than you want. Same with me. But that's a line. And my praise is not going to be determined by how many prayers have been answered so far. But when I see direction turning, when I see direction turning, when I feel a faith rising in my spirit, I'm going to go ahead and praise him. I'm going to go ahead and thank him. I'm going to go ahead and give him glory. Come on, I feel like we need to take a time out and praise him right now. Come on, Dad, I, 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 I urge you right now. Let's not look around right now. Why don't you just take a risk right now? Why don't you take a risk right now and give him a praise? Come on, Mom, why don't you take a risk right now and push past the line? Come on, young people, take a risk right now. Push past the line. Be led by the Spirit of God right now. Be led by the Spirit of God right now. Woo! We want to be led by the Spirit right now, God. We want to be led by the Spirit right now, Jesus. We want your will to be accomplished in our church. We want your will to be accomplished in our life right now. 